Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is episode eight of the Magnastics podcast, and we've got a lot to talk about today. First podcast of 2020. Woo. <laughs> All right. So I think we're going to start with the Japan Super Final. That was a wild ride. <laughs> well, I think you know a little more about the results than I do because I wasn't keeping up with it. So this one's all you. So little baby Daiki, you know, world medalist baby Daiki, he um, he won. He had a really, really good performance. As far as I remember, he he upgraded some things. I think high bar maybe. Casual upgrades just a few weeks after Worlds. Totally normal. But here's the thing. They had this really weird, like, penalty system. Um, So they kept track of the difficulty scores. And um, anyone whose total all-around difficulty was not at least 35 got a 0.5 penalty. That's insane. It's ridiculous. And actually really affected the results because Shogo Nonomura, who was the alternate for Worlds, he actually got the second highest total, but then he got the penalty and that dropped him to fourth place. So he actually would have had that second spot and been sent to the World Cups if it wasn't for that penalty. So just to let everyone know, the first place finisher and the second place finisher both got two World Cup spots as a result of the Super Final. All around World Cups. I need to specify that. (laughs) So second place was Kazuma Kaya, who was like the favorite to win this going in. He's very much Japan's kind of top all-around guy at the moment, but in Japan, things flip-flop all the time. When it's that competitive, it kind of does. Yeah, and then third place went to Kazuyuki Takeda, who is a very underrated gymnast, pretty much, because he hasn't really ever gotten any major assignments, but until now. Until now. Yeah. Um, and so, amazingly, seven guys broke 85 in this final. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and that included Takeru Kitazono, the Youth Olympic champion. He Still technically a junior at the time. Still technically a junior at the time, he made the super final because he um, won the inter high school championships, uh, same as last year, 2018. He upgraded by like two points overall between nationals and this final. Well, I guess since Junior Worlds was the last time he competed. Yeah, so he his difficulty is over 35 now, which is insane. He's a child. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And he broke 80, I think he broke 85. Yeah, yeah, he did break 85. Oh, what was also really exciting was Tepe Miller, who you may remember came second last year, got a World Cup assignment, competed in Stuttgart, had a t- terrible time. It's kind of been, it's kind of been struggling a little, like still doing all right, but kind of, he came 11th at nationals. So he's kind of like when he came second last year, it was like, oh, he's going to be the next big thing. And then it didn't really work out, but he had an amazing day. Seems like super final is the only competition he can hit at. (laughs) Um, and he yeah he also broke 85 so yeah it was just crazy I mean the young guys are really coming through right so since day one um he will be doing the American Cup and the Tokyo all-around World Cup and Kazuma since he got second he will be doing the other two, so Stuttgart and Birmingham. Hashtag justice for Shoga. <laughs> and um, Kazuyuki Takeda, since he got third, he will be the wild card for Tokyo. I was really happy to see him get that wild card because, like last year, even though he didn't do that well in Super Final, Wataru got the Tokyo wild card. So I was like, they could. They could give it to anyone. Maybe they'll give it to Wataru again because he got a medal last year. But I'm really, really happy to see Kazuyuki get a World Cup assignment because, I mean, he's definitely very underrated. All right, so on to the Kotbus World Cup. I have not watched this. (laughs) I did watch it live, but it's been a while now. So I tried to rewatch it in preparation for this podcast and it did not really work out. So I will do my best. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Kazuki Minami won floor with a 15.1. So that's two wins for him now in the ones that count for Olympic qualification. No, that was his first one. Was it? Yeah. I'm sorry. First one. But if he continues at this speed... Oh, the other World Cup, he did did not count, right? Yeah, it was Paris. Okay. Yeah, so he and three other guys are scheduled to go to the remaining four World Cups at this point. And if Manami just continues to, you know, do what he has been doing. He will pretty much get that spot over Miyachi right now. Yeah, because the tiebreakers to do with average overall points, which kind of favors him because he could just win the rest, whereas Miyachi has um, some non-first place finishes. Yeah. So if it came to that, I mean, of course, if he didn't win one of them, it could affect it. But um, it seems like that favors Kazuki at the moment. Yeah, so Miyachi will be going to the remaining four World Cups as well. 
I assume, to try to improve that point average. Um, anyway, let me continue with the Cottbus World Cup. <laughs> um, Raider Lee Zapata got second. It was a pretty great routine from what I remember. I don't, I can't recall any specifics at the moment, but I just remember it being really good. Um, and since, since this happened, I did read an article where he is also planning on continuing to attend these World Cups, so he is still shooting for that individual spot. I know we had previously speculated if he was going to give that up for a spot on the team since the Spanish team qualified, but that does not appear to be the case. And then third, third place went to Hayden Skinner. This this bronze was his first World Cup medal. He had just missed out on both floor and vault in Paris. He got fourth place there. So this was his first medal, and it was really exciting to see. Oh, and what's cool is he's finally been added to the national team. Yeah, because when he went to the Paris World Cup, he was not on the team, right? Yeah, so even though as a junior he was kind of winning all the floor and vault stuff um i think because he didn't do all around i don't know if that is the reason but that was what i suspected was the reason he actually wasn't on the junior national team um but he's been added to the senior one for 2020 so that's pretty cool yeah i just also want to say that the medalists had significantly higher difficulty than everyone else who competed in the final. So Minami was at 6.6 and both Zapata and Skinner were at 6.5. Um, everyone else was 6.2 tops or lower. Um, yeah. So one of the sort of, surprising finalists for me was Andren Frey of Switzerland. Um, I think last year was his first year as a senior because he looked pretty darn young and I was really impressed with him. And since, you know, the Swiss men still have their A team pretty intact, I don't think he will make much of an impact this year, but I think next quad he could really develop into someone really important for them. I know a lot of people were probably paying attention to Kirill Prokopev, but I don't remember this, which is not surprising. But looking at his e-score, I think he fell. And he also had one-tenth out of bounds. So... He only ended up sixth here, where you would usually expect him to medal if he hit. So, yeah, that's a shame because he um, could. I mean, they weren't sending him to World Cups before. I'm glad they are now, but he could have been um, threat for the the spot there. I think Milad Karimi was the only other person who fell, and he also had a one tenth out of bounds so overall it was a 
relatively clean final, I think. Um, and then Colin Van Wicklin had a four-tenths neutral deduction for going out of bounds. Um, but in terms of falls, it wasn't terrible. Oh, and then the one other person who competed in the final who I haven't mentioned yet was Nikita Ignatiev. Yeah. He still exists. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for floor. Pommel horse. Now, pommel horse was pretty exciting. Um, I've mentioned more than once that it's pommel horse and rings, which people typically view as the most boring events are the most, actually the most exciting ones for these apparatus cups. So, um, I think at this point we had been hearing about Steven Nedarasic having a 6.8 routine and he made the final here, so we were wondering if we were going to see it or not. And we didn't. <laughs> um, he did fall, and I'm not sure if that was the reason why he didn't do the 6.8 or if he was only planning on doing the 6.5 he was credited with. But <laughs> the winner here was Wang Hao. Yeah, I don't... I mean... This this final was pretty packed, so I don't know if that was surprising or not. But um, yeah, he's he's trying to get that individual spot too. But um, as we'll see in a minute, he may be beaten out by his countrymen on another event. So, and then silver was Kato Imabayashi. Um, and then bronze was Oleg Vernyaev. I don't know why he was here, but, you know, it's Oleg. He'll show up at every meet. <laughs> Oleg is everywhere. Yeah. Although he did take a vacation after this. I was very impressed. <laughs> um, yeah, so they all had really difficult routines. Both Wang Hao and Oleg did their... 6.6 routines, and then Emma Bayashi had a 6.7. And then Harutian Mardinian of Armenia, he was also really clean in this. He had one of the, was it the highest? Yeah, it was the highest execution score. But since his difficulty was only 6.3, that that was um, put him a little behind the medalist, so he ended up fourth. Yeah, the fact that it's like only six point three says how like crazy competitive this is because six point three is pretty significant difficulty. Yeah, well, I think well when I was updating my spreadsheet for my final update of twenty nineteen, um, I don't have it open right now, but. I think about 15 people throughout the entire calendar year competed at least a 6.5, at least, which is nuts. Yeah, that's 
crazy. The difficulty's really going up on Pommel Horse. Right. So in fifth place was Thierry Pellerin of Canada. Um, he also had one of the higher execution scores, but his difficulty was only a 6.2, so <laughs> <laughs> only. Um, obviously, that's really impressive by itself, but you know, when you have these guys who can do, you know, more than that, it's it's not enough. I was actually very, very happy that this next person hit because I know I make fun of him a lot for messing up in finals. Um, Robert Seligman of Croatia. So I know he usually does enough to get to the finals and then we'll mess up in finals, but he hit here. Yeah, um, he's one of those guys who always like upgrades for the final. So I think that's what contributes to that pattern. <laughs> yeah. At this point, I don't think Seligman has or will get enough points to get that apparatus cup spot, but he's certainly trying. <laughs> Yeah, the it's kind of crazy because, like you say, the main contenders really are um, Wang Hao, Keichiro Bayashi, Kohei Kamiyama, but they've all got guys from the same country threatening for other spots. So it's kind of up in the air as to who's actually going to get it. Right. Um, I will touch on this again in a minute uh in a little bit when we talk about the melbourne world cup because we've had some updates recently about things we will return to that topic and then the last person i need to mention is tandy who i really love him on parallel bars he did not compete on parallel bars here and i was very sad (laughs) Again, had a hit routine. Maybe could have been a little cleaner, but it was just, compared to the rest of the routines here, it was just okay. (laughs) Doesn't mean the routine itself was okay, because it was really good, but yeah. So that's it for Pommel Horse. And on to Rings. We had... A much-anticipated matchup between Liu Yang and Eleftherios Petrunius. So, if you guys remember, Petrunius somehow did not qualify through Worlds. So, these apparatus cups are the only way he can get to Tokyo. And I think in another podcast we had mentioned, we heard a rumor that... Yang wasn't going to go to any more World Cups. That was obviously not true. So with his win here, because he did win, he now has 90 points. He got, so he went to three World Cups, won all three of them. So his average is 30, which like we kind of mentioned, that is not very good for Wang Hao on Pommel Horse. (laughs) Yeah, and he's been getting big scores as well. So even if Petronius like 
wins three more, his scores will have to be higher than New Yang's are to get the spot over him, which I I don't know. I'm not sure I can see that happening, to be honest. Yeah, and that's... that. It, it's really sad because I think, obviously, to a regular person, like, you might think that Petronius is back to where he was pre-surgery. And his difficulty is, but his execution is down enough that he hasn't really broken 15 at all, whereas he used to do that basically every time. And, you know, sad to say it, but at this point, it looks like Petronius will not be in Tokyo. Yeah, and I think also Liu Liang is, like, he's looking so good right now. I think even, you know, even a healthy Petronius, I think he would challenge him, to be honest. I could see that. And then our third-place finisher here was Artur Avicisian, which he's... My fave. Yeah. Um, actually, the other Armenian, Vahan Davtian, was also in this final. He ended up placing fifth. I remember him, like, his routine being really good, and I was, I thought he would have scored a little bit higher. But, um... All of, the, all of those scores from second to fifth were less than half a tenth apart. So you have Petronius in second with a 14.866. Actually, Avitesian tied with Yu Hao, but they ended up breaking the tie, so Yu Hao got fourth. Um, And they both got 14.833, and then Davtian got 14.825. So we've seen this in some other rings finals in 2019 where... You know, it's very close like that. Yeah, that's the thing with rings. It's kind of, it's an event most guys are usually quite consistent on. Like, there's a lot less kind of chance of, like, major errors. And everyone's difficulty is within a couple tenths, generally. They usually end up being very close scores. Although I do want to say you have had a difficulty of 6.5 which is really crazy didn't Yu Yang do like a 6.6 at some competition yeah it was it was like a domestic Chinese competition or was it the military games I I don't think it was the military games no the only other person who did a 6.5 routine um, was Courtney Tillich and he was in this final as well, but he only did a 6.2 in this final, so he ended up sixth place. But yeah, I know Liu Yang, I know he definitely he definitely did it, so I saw it, but oh, that's, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was an internal competition then, if I didn't put it on my spreadsheet, because I did put the military games on my spreadsheet. Okay. So, yeah. 
And then the last two competitors in this final were Igor Radivilov, who was also in the vault final, and Takuya Nagano. And Nagano did, you may, you may remember, well, if you watched it, which I don't think very many people did, but he did very well at the Guimarães World Cup in Portugal. Um, that was at the end of September. Yeah, so Igor got seventh and Takuya got eighth. I think he might have fallen on his dismount, though, so. What score did he get? 13.733. Oh, yeah, that would definitely be a four. Unfortunately, I don't remember, and I didn't rewatch this, so. (laughs) All right, so on to day two of the apparatus finals. Like I just mentioned, Igor was in the vault final, and he ended up winning here. Not really surprising he did a drag alaska and then the souk double pike those are pretty standard for him wasn't his best i think but it was good enough to win out here and then audrey Nines got the silver he did his um risa guang the first one which is the the souk double back with the full twist i feel like i haven't seen one of those in a while so that was fun. He also did a drag Alaska, which was really good. And then the bronze medal winner here was Yahar Sharamku of Belarus. He did the Kaz one and a half and a drag Alaska. Um, the dra- I, I remember the drag Alaska being really good. He just had like, it was almost stuck, but he took the tiniest step with one foot. Yeah, he doesn't always do the Dragalescu. I feel like he usually only pulls it out for finals. Yeah. He's definitely one of the cleaner vaulters, I think. And then fourth place was Hidenobu Yonakura. So he did his eponymous vault, which turned out okay. I'm still not convinced he, he twists all the way on on that vault, but of the couple that we've seen in competition so far, nobody really does. So Yeah, he I feel like he's always a, a bit short, but like enough to get credit. So for anyone who doesn't know in men's gymnastics, the twist can be incomplete and it'll get credit as long as it's within 90 degrees uh, with a deduction. Yeah, so his second vault, he did end up going out of bounds, which um, if he didn't do that, he might have been able to medal here, but it did not work out that way because that neutral deduction was three tenths. So I feel like he is getting cleaner. I feel like his CAS two and a half has improved since he first started doing it yeah maybe cleaner in the air but the landing was more important here so and then uh, the other four guys their names you should know at this point um we have sang wei shang from taipei yeah he also had a one-tenth out of bounds on his second vault his his souk double pike was really nice it was the 
Roche that he went out of bounds on. And then in sixth was Shin Jae-won from Korea. Um, I think he's still shooting for that individual spot as well. He didn't go to Worlds, right? No. So yeah. I remember reading that they're going to continue to send him. Right. Right. So he, Vault is one of the more open events, so he's definitely gunning for it. And then seventh place was Jorge Vega Lopez. And then in eighth place, we have Colin Van Wicklin. He actually fell on his first vault, which was the Dragulescu, and also had a one-tenth out-of-bounds deduction. He had a one-tenth out-of-bounds deduction on the second vault as well, which was a Kaz one-and-a-half. I know he's been training the Souk double pike, but Tim Daggett actually commentated this for the Olympic Channel, and he guessed that because Colin had messed up on the first vault, he wasn't going to bother with the Souk double pike. I'm not sure if that was actually his strategy or not, and he decided to go for the safer Kaz one-and-a-half. But um, that's what Tim Daggett said. (laughs) Tim could never lie to us. And then Parallel Bars, like some of these other events, had a bunch of finalists who were really world class on this event. I feel like the situation with the Parallel Bars uh, World Cups, it's pretty much just Operation Get Vladislav to Tokyo. (laughs) I think everyone's rooting for him, really, at this point. Right. So, Polyashov actually finished third here. Yeah, and then second place was Yu Hao. Um, He actually did a 6.9 difficulty routine, which I don't think he's competed that, at least internationally, before Kotbis. But it was pretty crazy. Um Mostly consisted of the double back type skills. It was really nice. But unfortunately, he was not as clean as Oleg Vernyaev, who ended up taking the gold here on a tiebreaker because Oleg had less difficulty. Until Zojin Yuan showed up, Yu Hao had the highest P-Bars difficulty in the world. So not very surprising there, I guess. So, I think Yu Hao might also be trying to get one of these individual spots, possibly through parallel bars. But, you know, as we already mentioned, Liu Yang already has three wins at this point. So, yeah. So, obviously, Oleg isn't eligible for points. So, even though he got second, Yu Hao gets the 30 points. Right. I think almost everyone in this final, except for you and Polyashov, had already qualified or the team that qualified. Everyone participating in this final, I mean. So. Right. And then our fourth place was Lucas Dazzer. And 
I remember being really happy for him because, you know, worlds didn't go exactly the way I wanted it to for him. And he did really well here. And I'm okay with fourth place for him. And then fifth place was Petro Pachniuk. Didn't do his hardest routine. He only had a 5.9 difficulty here, but, you know, um, Ukraine had already qualified a team, so he's not eligible for points. And then sixth place was Farat Arachan um, from Turkey. This is kind of my criticism of him, I guess. He's got the difficulty. He was credited with a 6.6. It's, you know, obviously one of the hardest routines in the world. But he can he can be kind of sloppy. Yeah, he's got he's got the legs. Yeah, they're they're very loose. He's got the the Marcel legs. <laughs> I don't think I've heard you make that comparison before. Really? No. Oh. Well, that's what I think every time I see someone have loose legs on P bars. It just makes me think of Marcel because <laughs> obviously he was an amazing is an amazing P-Bars worker, but his leg form is questionable. <laughs> and then one of our cleanest people in this final was Andre Likovitsky from Belarus. He usually ends up making finals because of his execution. His difficulty isn't the highest, but he's really so nice to watch because he's so clean. Yeah, my mom's like in love with him. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, she's. I think I showed her one of his routine once because, like, he does a cool strength sequence on Thor. Yeah, she just loves him. Shout out to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and then our eighth place person here was Bryn Bevan. He was not that crisp either and he did mess up the stuts which was his downfall probably so it wasn't like a disaster of a routine but that was enough to put him into last place if that makes sense all right and on to high bar i don't remember too much of this final which is unfortunate <laughs> Well, Epka wasn't there. Right. And unsurprisingly, the gold here went to Hidetaka Miyachi, who scored a 14.933. I did rewatch this routine because, like, more than once, because I swear it was, like, the best routine I've ever seen him do. He's only been getting better. So if... You don't understand what kind of a massive score 14.933 is. That does tie him with Tang Chai Hung for the second highest high bar score in all of 2019. Epka was originally supposed to go to Kotbus and then had to withdraw because he ended up getting surgery on his sinuses because he has like recurring sinus issues. He is still trying to get that spot through the Apparatus Cups, though. So, basically, for the next four World Cups, we'll be seeing um, 
Epka and Miyachi go back and forth. It's really only between them two at this point. So Yeah. And that's going to be really exciting because in Bramble Hofstad's, I think it was his most recent vlog. Yeah. There's a little bit about with Epka talking about the World Cups. And he basically said, because the tie break, if they both get 90 points, is the actual scores in the events, he's going to like throw the big difficulty. Right. So he's, he won't be playing it safe. Yeah. So that is going to be exciting yeah so our second place winner here was somewhat surprisingly Ilias Georgiou of Cyprus he only had a 5.6 difficulty routine which was okay it was kind of middle of the pack here but um, you generally would not expect someone with 5.6 5.6 difficulty to medal usually but um this final was like half disaster in general Ilias is really clean so that definitely worked out to his benefit this time yeah I remember uh, the first time I saw him was Commonwealth Games and high bar was like a really notable event for him. So I'm glad he's getting that success there. Yeah, I think his best events are high bar and P bars because he also has another World Cup medal on P bars. Yeah, it's really cool to see, like, obviously, Marios is amazing. Um, and it's cool to see, like, the other uh, gymnasts from Cyprus having success also. I think right. they're really you know, coming up. And then the bronze medal winner here was Alexei Rostov. I don't have anything to say about him. I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, Alexei Rostov is, he's just generally a bit messy. He does big releases, but yeah, he doesn't have the best leg form in general. Yeah, he had one of the higher difficulty scores so it worked out for him and in fourth place was Colin Van Wicklin so very exciting for him vault may not have gone his way but he did really well on high bar so yeah I know he's kind of looking to make an impact on the Olympic qualifying He's talked about it. Yeah, I think he was thinking about maybe trying to qualify an individual spot on Vault, maybe. Yeah, Vault's one of the ones that's kind of the most open at the moment. Yeah, but the unfortunate thing is um, the... If you guys aren't aware, the U.S. men like rename their national team every six months so once at winter cup in february and then again at the national championships in august so the way the timing worked out this year winter cup is actually the same weekend as the melbourne world cup so the u.s are are not sending any men since that's the same weekend so 
if Colin does want to continue to aim for that individual spot, he would, one, have to do really well at Winter Cup to be named to the national team again, and then go to the remaining World Cups and do really well. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a long shot. Um, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate the way that worked out. And I think even if he was able to go to the two after Melbourne, he would have to also most likely be competing against Steven Nedarosic for those. I mean, obviously not on the same event, but um, yeah, we'll uh, circle back around to the U.S. guys in a little bit, but let me continue with high bar. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like I said, this final was like half disaster. <laughs> um, the the remaining four guys did not have the best day. None of them broke thirteen. So, Ooh. yeah. Which is not great for a high bar final. No. Yeah. So fifth place was Hu Jue. I, I I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And then uh, sixth place was Zhang Chenglong. Yeah. He had a 0.3 uh, neutral deduction. I think that was because he may have taken too long to get back up on the bar after he fell, but I'm not positive. And our seventh place person had the same neutral deduction, and that was Randy LaRue. He was doing so well until he fell, and it was just I felt like it was a repeat of um, was it 2017 Worlds all over again? (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking that. Not as, not quite as high stakes, I think. But still, still disappointing. Yeah, he's so good. I know he's he's really nice to watch. Yeah, I'm just kind of waiting for him to have a moment, you know. And then eighth place was Adris Nineres. I don't really remember what happened, but he was only credited with a fourteen. Uh, sorry, four point eight difficulty. So he definitely lost difficulty somewhere. I don't remember what he fell on, though, so go me. That's one of the Olympic qualifiers down. The next one is the Melbourne World Cup, which they they recently released the nominative roster, obviously subject to a couple of changes. But one thing that I'm personally very excited about, Chris Remkes is returning to competition after injuring himself. Obviously not, he's not 100% considering how badly he was injured. So he will only be doing pommel horse and parallel bars. But I'm still really excited that he's continuing. Yeah, that was a really bad injury. Glad he's been able to get back so quickly. Yeah, well, well, like I, I said, he's... Not going to be doing the events he's most known for, but... um, He is very good at pommel horse, though. Right, so 
we mentioned earlier that Japan officially has four guys trying to get a spot through these apparatus World Cups. And all four of them will be going to the remaining three cups, including Melbourne. And um, we've mentioned Miyachi and Minami already. Um, the other two are Kohei Kamiyama uh, and Yonakura. But also guess which other Japanese guy is going to Melbourne. I'm confused. You're confused? I don't remember. Yusuke. Oh, yes, my favorite. How did I forget? How did you forget? I don't know. I'm very disappointed in myself right now. I'm disappointed in you, too. (laughs) I love the Tanakas. I have missed him so much. Me, too. Now I'm mad at myself. (laughs) (laughs) As you should be. All right. And like I said, Zapata is still trying for that individual spot, so he will be there. Um, China is sending Liu Yang and also Lan Jingyu. So those two guys on rings probably spells disaster for Petronius, and I just want to cry forever. I was just going to say, should we talk about how they might not be able to go? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... So the new thing is China's supposed to send Liu Yang and Lan Jingyu as well as Zhou Jingwan, Wang Hao, and Zhang Chenglong. But at this point, it looks like none of the Chinese guys or the Chinese women will be able to attend due to travel restrictions for Chinese nationals due to the novel coronavirus, which, yeah, it really sucks. And you want to know what makes it suck more? This virus um, hasn't, as of when we're recording this, has not technically hit pandemic status yet, but I think it's expected to at this point, and it's not predicted to peak until... May or so. So not only does, like, if all of these travel restrictions remain in place, because a lot of airlines have suspended travel to and from China, some countries like Australia have instituted like a 14 day quarantine. So, right. So since it's right now not predicted to peak until May, not only does this affect Right, so if things keep going at the speed that they're going now in terms of, like, the spread of this virus and, like, all the travel restrictions remaining in place, not only will this be a problem for the Melbourne World Cup, it also poses a problem for, like, the rest of the qualifying World Cup, so all the rest of the Apparatus Cups, the whole entire all-around World Cup series, and possibly even the Asian championships, which are due to take place the first weekend in May, which is also my birthday, by the way, just saying. In terms of the apparatus cup points, um, as we mentioned, uh, Liu Yang already has 90 points. And I think on the women's side, Fan Yulin may also have 90 points, or she will once some points are reallocated. So I don't think it'll be too bad 
for those two, but they may not be able, China may not be able to qualify a sixth spot for either the men or the women. Yeah, and obviously for the men, they were like one of the favorites to get an all around World Cup spot. For sure. And if Asian Championships is affected, then like if they somehow didn't get an all around World Cup spot, then you'd expect them to get um, a spot at Asian Championships. Um, and also, like we were talking about how they have, you know, they have like Wing Hao and like other specialists who, you know, are Olympic standard who would be selected if they had another spot. So that really, like really sucks for them. Yeah. And it doesn't really seem like the IOC or FIG could do anything about it. Because, you know, they're not, like, the real government who are imposing all of these travel restrictions. So, um, yeah, it says, there, or something was released today, or I guess the IOC released a statement that says the IOC has asked various international sports federations to provide all possible assistance and convenience to Chinese athletes, but... You know, they they really can't do a whole lot, I think. Yep. In other travel restriction news, Australia has denied um, the Iranian male gymnast visas to come compete at the Melbourne World Cup, which we just found that out today. And it's very disappointing because... As we kind of mentioned, a lot of the top qualifiers for Pama Horse in particular are competing against, you know, other guys from their country who are more likely to get a spot on their event than, you know, these other guys will on Pama Horse. So Keika has like a real shot at qualifying this through this pH spot. Pommel horse spot. I don't know why I said pH. <laughs> yeah, so so this is particularly devastating for Keika. Yeah. And just I can't believe that they're allowed to do that. Like for athletes coming to, you know, compete at an Olympic qualifying event, how on earth can they be allowed to deny them visas? You know. Well, the the Australian government's position is that they denied the visas because they're afraid that these Iranian athletes will defect, which is like, you're upset that these talented athletes want to defect to your country, really? <laughs> it's not like they'd probably be a drain on society, but... um, Yeah, that's just, that's just not a real reason is it is just ridiculous yeah um i guess the australian government has said um that the defection of iranian athletes seeking asylum has gained momentum recently i know the um it made news a couple weeks ago that the country's only female olympic medalist 
defected to, I want to say the U.S. I'm not positive. But oh, no. People might want a better life. We better stop them. Yeah. So that that kind of stinks. And, um, yeah, I know a while ago there was some talk about the Armenian guys having trouble getting visas, not only to Katbis, but also to Baku, I think, which <laughs> this led me down a whole very fascinating rabbit hole of Armenian and Azerbaijani like relations. <laughs> but um, Armenia and Azerbaijan, they, uh, yeah, they don't really get along, I guess, to put it simply. And Azerbaijan very much restricts any visas from Armenia, which poses a problem not only for the Baku like Apparatus Cup, but also because this year the men's European Championships will be held in Baku. So uh, someone told me today that the Armenian guys are kind of boycotting those events if you will which again sucks yeah because Armenia has a lot of excellent gymnasts I think uh, that's it for now about political stuff <laughs> yeah um, rewinding a little bit um, one of the big junior meets of the year happened early in January it's the RD 761 meet in Texas. Unfortunately, there was no live stream and the live scores stopped working for me after like an event and a half. So I wasn't able to figure out what went on until like a day or two later. But I think I had mentioned, at least on Twitter, that I was like, I don't recognize any of these Japanese names, but I wouldn't be surprised if they won both team and all around. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so um, the all-around winner was Matomu Yoshida. Second place all-around was Koi Young of USA. And so bronze went to Ryo Karada, also of Japan. What's kind of insane is that all of the Japanese guys got at least one title. So, um, I mentioned Yoshida winning all around. Um, Ryo Karada, who got bronze in the all around, also won um, Pama Horse. Floor was won by Azusa Amata. I'm probably butchering that. And um, the last member of the Japanese team, Kazuma Kotoje. Uh, one high bar so event finals were mostly the japan and usa show <laughs> i mentioned koyang got uh silver and all around he, he also got um two silvers in event finals as well as a bronze so the silvers were on floor and pommel horse and then the bronze was on vault the other event titles for rings, that went to Ian Lasik-Ellis from the U.S. And vault was won by Yuri Guimaraes from Brazil. 
And Parallel Bars was won by Isaiah Drake from the U.S. So. And everyone's favorite tiny boy, Asher Hong, got a bronze on high bar. Yeah. I don't think he had the best meet in qualifying, but he did make the Parallel Bars and High Bar final finals and then won the bronze on high bars we just mentioned another meet in texas this was the valeri lucan invitational i guess this is like the first elite meet of the year really yeah um it's one of the the few competitions before winter cup that's not ncaa affiliated um, it's the the Lucan Invitational and then HNI Houston National Invitational, and that has not happened at the time of recording. But we probably won't get this episode out until after that has finished. So, <laughs> yeah. So this Lucan Invitational, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a stream or live scores, which was very frustrating. We were only able to find out the next day how everyone did. Um, I heard even if you were there, the scores were like all the way on one side of the arena on like tiny screens. So (laughs) very frustrating. And it's not like it's an insignificant meet. That was some pretty big names there. Yeah. And we mentioned Kazuyuki Takeda already. And my, my bet was that he would win the all-around. And what did you tell me? Well, you said you were interested to see how Takeru, who was on the start list but didn't end up competing, and um, Felix, you were interested to see how they would do. We need to specify Felix Dulcy because there were two other Canadian guys also named Felix there. So, Yeah. And what did I say? I said, don't forget Taichi Adachi. Yes, he actually won um, the RD761 meet a couple years ago, and then we haven't seen a whole lot of him since then. Yeah, he was injured last year, so he wasn't really around. But, yeah, he he scored an 85.95 to win this event. Which, so I feel like this meet does generally have pretty generous scores, just from what I remember in past years. Obviously, we don't have any video uh, to judge this on. Um, We don't even have a a difficulty in execution breakdown, so. Yeah. Um, But I mean, you know, that's a big score. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Over a point higher than the silver medalist, uh, Junpei Oka. And um, Kazuyuki got bronze, who was, like, almost another point behind that. So Yeah. 83.95 with the scores. It looks like he had problems on Pongos and P-bars. He did score a 15 on rings. So, Japanese sweep for the all-around. Also, Japanese sweep on floor. <laughs> the gold went to uh, Koga Hiramatsu 
who scored a crazy 15.15. Yeah, and he's from a Japanese high school team who's just, like, full of floor guys. Like, they're all floor guys. Yeah, so Japan actually sent two teams. Yeah, I'll get to team results in a minute. Um, and then silver went to Teichi Adachi, and bronze went to Kazuyuki. Kama Horse, not quite a Japanese sweep, but um, this one was won by Teichi Adachi with Michael Reed, very close behind, only a half tenth behind. And then bronze was Junpei Oka. We so- should clarify, has no relation. Shinosuke Oka, the junior world champion. They just have the same last name, but they are not related. Right. And for rings, we already mentioned Kazuyuki got a 15, which I would very much like to see video of that. Uh, and silver went to William Amard, who I, I really like him, so I'm happy. <laughs> And bronze went to Alex Dieb. Vault scores, they, with these scores, I think they were only judged out of one, much like U.S. Nationals. Um, Yeah, because there's no way all three of these guys got averages of at least 15. So, yeah, no. Yeah, so uh, in first place was Junpei Oka. Uh, second place was Bruce K. Doi. Yeah, so you guys might remember him from Junior Worlds also. And bronze went to Koga Hiramatsu. So all three of them scored 15 or greater, which is kind of crazy. I don't even know what vaults they did because, like we said, we just have scores. Yeah, but obviously they were. 5.6 volts because obviously a 15.25 isn't isn't possible if you do a 5.2 volt. <laughs> Mathematically, that is true. Japan does have all these random guys who can chuck 5.6 volts. So yeah, I'm excited that Ryosuke got such a big volt score. Um, so he's a new senior this year. You may remember him from many, many years ago. He went to pack rims. And he was just absolutely tiny. And everyone fell in love with him. I don't remember, but that's not surprising. Anyway, so if he's got a 5.6 volt, that could shake things up a bit. Well, I mean, if we're talking about Japan, anything can happen. So This is true. This is true. <laughs> All right. And then parallel bars, um, another Japanese sweep. So first place was Teichi Adachi. Uh, second place was Sayatora. He might be a little more familiar to our listeners. And third place was Ryuzo Sejima. And then high bar, again, all, all Japanese medalists. So, first place was Junpei Oka, who somehow scored a 15.15, and that's, like, 
EPCA level score, so I really need to see video or, like, see what his difficulty was ASAP. <laughs> yeah, I checked the WOGA Facebook page, and they only have a couple of routines from the entire meet. The only ones they posted from the men's division were one vault and one rings routine, I yeah, think. so... Um, at Nationals, he had a 6.1. I mean, it's very possible he could have upgraded. Oh, yeah, of course. Second place went to Ryosuke Doi, and third place went to Teichi Adachi. Actually, um, Teichi tied with Ryuzo Sajima, but they broke the tie, so only Teichi got the medal. Yes, yeah, so in terms of the team results, I mentioned they sent two Japanese teams and got first and second. So the group with older guys, <laughs> I'm saying older, but it's just relatively older, um, they, um, they got first place. Uh, so that's Oka, Takeda, Tora, and Tsujima, yeah. And then the second Japanese team that got silver had um, Adachi, Hiramatsu, uh, Doi, and is that it? Am I missing? Um, well, wasn't Takeru supposed to? Right. Right. So Takeru was supposed to compete. And he was there because I saw a video of him with the rest of the guys. But he did not end up competing. Not entirely sure why. I did see him in the video with an ice, like a bag of ice wrapped around his wrist. But that doesn't always mean it's bad enough that they can't compete, you know? Yeah. I hope he's okay. I don't know. And then the bronze team medal went to Cyprus. Which consisted of Asher Hong, Garrett Bronton, who you guys might also remember from Junior Worlds, uh, Zachary Nunez, and Daniel Simmons. I think that's about it. And I guess now we can do our mini Winter Cup preview. All right. So I just want to say Brandon Briones was one of my favorite juniors. He's now officially a senior, which I'm very excited about. And And he's killing it. Yes, absolutely dominating it at NCAA. He just kind of walked in and was like, I'm here to F stuff up. Like, holy crap. Like, yeah. I think I would be surprised if he wasn't named to the national team after Winter Cup. Assuming he keeps up his current form. Right. Because I, I remember last year, you kept being like, whenever we would talk about the Olympic team, you kept being like, I think Brandon could mix things up. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Even though he mm. didn't compete at all in 2019. <laughs> he didn't do anything. And you were like, he's going to make it. <laughs> and I was like, well, he might. But, you know, we have to wait and see. But, yeah, I mean, obviously it's early days and I don't want to, like, jinx or anything but if he keeps this up he will be a serious contender yeah 
Um, also, I want to say his rings routine. Oh, the triple that, back. Yes. He does a triple back, and it's like the cleanest triple back you have ever seen in your entire life. Like, his legs are together. Or at least that's what it looks like from all the videos that I've seen. I was like, when I saw that, I was like, Nick Klessing, are you watching? Are you watching? <laughs> you do this? His overall difficulty on rings is relatively low. I think it's only like a 5.1, which is fine for NCAA. But, you know, for elite, you would hopefully want to step it up a little bit. But um, Yeah. It is harder for the younger guys to build that rings difficulty. I mean, he's been doing very well on the other events, particularly floor and vault. So that covers it a little bit. Yeah. Um, actually, I mean, I know it's NCAA scoring, but he did score like a 14.4 on high bar the other week. What's his high bar difficulty? Um, I don't remember. I'd have to pull that up. Give me a second. Because they do, they do publish that stuff. Yeah, so I think that 14.4 is the highest in the country right now for NCAA. But um, he has a 5.4, but he got a 9.0 execution. So very exciting. And then someone else who has been doing really well in NCAA is Shane Wiskus. So between Brandon and Shane... They've basically gotten, like, all of the awards. <laughs> I'm saying awards. They're not, like, official awards. But it's, like, Rookie of the Week and Gymnast of the Week. So, you know, both of them are just absolutely killing it right now. And, you know, kind of like with Brandon, Shane is really coming to be a serious contender for the Olympic team. Based on how he looks right now. Yeah, I think he is definitely in that in that group of guys who you can like expect to be the main contenders. Um, so, you know, something else that's really exciting is that Eddie Pnev looks to be one hundred percent again. Um, ah. Yes, ah. I, <laughs> you're ah. like his biggest fan. <laughs> I love Eddie. He's my favorite. Yeah, so he had a really huge floor score at the Rocky Mountain Open, which counts as one of the qualifiers for Winter Cup. I don't remember his score, though. It was like high for... Like a 14.75 or something like that. Around there. Yeah, so he only did floor and vault there. Not really surprising, but uh, he looks great. I love that he's, like, constantly doing new stuff as well. Now he's doing a two-and-a-half twisting double back. And it looks really good, too. He can stick it sometimes. Yeah, like, I love that. I think that's really cool, because I think the the triple-double was probably a bit um, tough on his legs with all the injuries. Yeah. Um, but this is also very cool and only worth a tenth left. Which is kind of funny that the two and a half would be easier than the triple because 
it's, you know, blind landing. <laughs> and I know that that throws a lot of people off, so. Yeah, I mean, you just don't see that skill very much, do you? I can't think of that many other people who have done it recently. I mean, I think I remember a couple of people doing the one and a half, but uh, not two and a half. I know Petro Pachniuk did it. Really? For a while. Yeah. Yeah, before that um, ankle injury he had. And um, Nikita Nagorny did it um, in 2017, but that was short-lived after he fell on it at Worlds. Can't think of anyone else recent. Oh, Dom Cunningham, obviously. Um, anyway, and... this is not about a list of people who have jumped <laughs> in the No. So, Brody Malone, after being somewhat controversially left off the national team um, in August, um, he's been doing okay. He's pumped out a number of upgrades, including a casino, which I was not expecting. But it's pretty inconsistent right now. I think what he's probably trying to do is, you know, get these, upgrades out early and try and get them consistent by you know the time olympic trials comes around that's what i'm guessing anyway but i heard that tom gleomi i'm probably butchering that but the head coach for stanford i heard he was pretty insistent on everybody doing a lot of upgrades so yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because I know also like like the national team coaches have been big on upping difficulty, but like Brody was doing really well before all the upgrades, um, like a level that was competitive with the other top American guys. So it's kind of interesting that they're really going for that strategy. Yeah, well, I think at Worlds, you know, the USA guys pretty much hit everything that they could in team finals and you know did as well as they could have and got fourth so I think they recognized that in order to be competitive for the podium they need to increase their difficulty but obviously still maintain execution which is a difficult trade-off yeah, I definitely like fully at that, especially for like the guys who are already like solid national team members. I just think it's interesting because obviously Brody's, you know, not on the national team yet. So it's an interesting strategy. So speaking of national team members, um, <laughs> Robert Neff, who I'm pretty sure I'm like the only Robert Neff fan in the universe. Um, <laughs> He won the all-around at the Rocky Mountain Open, including all of the NCAA guys. So he's looking pretty good right now. Um, Gage Dyer of Oklahoma is also looking really great, not just on floor, which he's like kind of known for, but he's looking good on some other events too. I remember being really impressed by his high bar the other week, and I was like, what? When did this happen? And He could then- like legit win or it went to cup as well. Yeah, he totally could. Let's get an Eddie versus Gage showdown. That'd be <laughs> fun. Uh, yeah, Gage actually has 
a 6.0 difficulty on floor, so it's it's possible. And then the big news as of this weekend, Steven Netarosic can officially hit his 6.8 set right now. As Ooh, finally appeared. Yes, he's done it twice now in the NCAA season. And then this past weekend, he scored a 15.9, which is absolutely insane. Um, obviously, you kind of have to take into account the fact that it's NCAA scoring. So it's a little bit generous. But um, So if you subtract another five-tenths or so, that's definitely like world medal contender routine and if steve can consistently do this 6.8 set now then he's basically signing his ticket to tokyo like usag can't ignore that yeah yeah if they get a spot yeah i think they can probably get a spot through the continental championships yeah but I don't think the apparatus cups are going to happen and the all around cup spots will be very tight. I mean, historically USA has done pretty well on the men's side, but that was before they were turned into Olympic qualifying events. So obviously countries are going to change who they send to the all around cups now. Yeah. Although with China being so affected, I think USA are probably more likely to to get one now. Yeah. Obviously, we still have to wait and see how that plays out. But um, it's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. So, so other than some of the guys I've already mentioned, I don't really know what a lot of the national team guys are up to. Um, I know a couple of the Oklahoma guys will be competing at HNI this upcoming weekend. So we might be able to tell more after that. But yeah, as of recording this, we don't know. <laughs> I just want to say one more note about um, Steve's pommel horse routine. Like, it's a really cool routine as well. He's got the triple Russian flop on the one handle. And he's also got, he has a son, but then he has another different skill which is pretty similar to a song it's kind of like a backwards song i don't really know how else to describe it yeah it's basically the same thing but in reverse i think it's only 270 degrees and not the full 360 yeah which um alec yoder has been doing those two like back to back for a couple years now so yeah i remember the first time we so we were messaging each other, like, what on earth was that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool, because that's, like, a skill that, um, you know, people like to see, because it's a bit different. Yeah, they're just like, ooh, what's that spinny thing? Yeah. <laughs> just want to do a little sidebar. There has been, there have been conversations about men's NCAA going back to the 10 scoring system. Um, I personally think it is a very, very poor decision. Um, I don't 
really want to talk about it too much on here because we don't really cover NCAA, but um, please read Mark Williams' piece via Stick It Media as for why it is a bad decision because I pretty much agree with everything that he says. So, go yeah. read it. I just, my main thing is like, because NCAA and like the elite program, um, particularly the national team, are so closely linked. Anything that kind of distances it is just not a good idea. Yeah. Um, again, I don't really want to talk about it because I'm just going to get mad. <laughs> yeah, it's but, just, uh, I just, like, I don't really understand how anyone could think that's a good idea. Yes. Um, so, so please read this open letter from Mark Williams. It's pretty much lays out everything. So, um, on to, they've released both the American Cup roster and the Stuttgart roster for the all around World Cups now. And it is very, very exciting. Um, actually, like the day that they announced the American Cup roster, I decided I was going to go. So I had to book flight tickets and, you know, buy a ticket for the actual meet. So, <laughs> um, so for the American Cup, a um, couple months ago, um, so like back in December, I think um, Sam McCulloch was announced as like the American entry on the men's side. And since then, They've announced Yul Moldauer as the wild card. Ooh, I can't talk today. Jeez. Um, which I kind of thought that they would name those two, but also I'm a little hesitant because obviously I think the U.S. is going to be heavily relying on them too for the all-around World Cups. So... Yeah, I think the main reason Yule got that spot is because, you know, he's won the last three times. Like, the whole, like, can he win four in a row thing is going to be, like, a big narrative. So I think that's the main reason they named him, even though, you know, um, he can't earn any points as the wild card entry. Yeah, I also think... NBC is a sucker for the Sam vs. Yule storyline, especially with how last year's American Cup played out. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our other entrance, uh, Nikita Nagorny, who I think we can say pretty definitively he's uh, the uh, favorite to win. Yeah, uh, I think you could say that. <laughs> yeah, considering he's the all-around world champion. Um, uh, Oleg Vernyaev, Lee Chikai, um, Deiki Hashimoto, who we mentioned earlier, uh, Nestor Abad, Andy Toba, Pablo Breger, James Hall, Diogo Suarez, and Deng Shuji. Um, there's actually one entry to still be confirmed, I think. It's supposed to be South Korea, but 
Um, I think it's pretty much assumed at this point that they will decline that spot. And then for Stuttgart, um, actually, I'm going to start with the thing I'm most excited about. <laughs> Ahmet Onder will be competing at the Stuttgart All-Around Cup. This Ooh. is Turkey's first appearance in an All-Around Cup, and it's super exciting. I know I've said super exciting like five times right now, but I'm really like over the moon about this. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very super duper exciting. <laughs> I, he's great. Yeah. He's a great gymnast. He, you know, is a guy who could have an impact on the medals. Um, so I'm really, excited that he gets this opportunity yay yeah so as i just kind of mentioned before that means that um korea france and italy would have had to turn down the spot for him to get it so um which i guess makes sense um and then for uh for Germany, their main entry, they're sending Andy Toba again. And then their wild card is Lucas Dowser. So that'll be fun. And everyone else, uh, David Beliavsky, um, Kazuma Kaya, who we mentioned is doing Stuttgart earlier. Um, the U.S. is sending Yul Moldauer. Uh, and then we've got Kaio Saza, uh, Tang Chai Hung, Nestor Abad again, James Hall again, Pablo Breger again, Oleg Vernyaev again, <laughs> and uh, if he makes it, Lin Chaopan. So a lot of guys are going to more than one World Cup, and I just hope that... I mean, (laughs) right. I know not everyone has the depth that like the Japanese or the Russian men do, but um, because because didn't didn't James end up withdrawing from British because he did like two World Cups in a row one year, um, and he was just like too tired. I don't think it was because he did two in a row. I think it was because. American Cup was like the weekend before and he was like really badly jet lagged. Alright, well. Yeah, I mean, some guys can go to all of them. Like didn't didn't Bart do like three or four one year? And obviously yeah. Oleg goes to a bunch most of the time. I think what's interesting about the the Stuttgart lineup is like we said, Nikita's the favorite for American Cup, but I don't think there's a clear favorite at Stuttgart. Yeah, I don't I don't think there is either. Like, I guess, like, Oleg is, like, world bronze medalist, but then you got to remember David... Nope, expecting him is, to get bronze in the first place. Yeah, and David is the European Games champion. He'd be Oleg there. So... Yeah, that could be very interesting. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Kazuma is 
excellent. So, also, I'm just so excited to see the the guys from Taiwan at World Cups. Yep. Um, I guess American Cup will be the first time there's like a Taiwanese guy at an all around World Cup. So that's mm-hmm. really cool. So in other news, um, we've been meaning to talk about this for a while, but we kept forgetting and then developments happened. So um, uh, Russia was a quote unquote banned from the Olympics. And at first we weren't really sure what that meant, but as of right now, it just looks like it'll be the same as the band that they had for the 2018 winter Olympics that they won't be allowed to technically compete for Russia. There'll be an Olympic athlete from Russia and they can't use like the flag or the country, like, like the, the colors for uniforms, like the, the 2018 athletes had like gray pants and like a jacket and they can't play the national anthem if they win any medals. So, um, and this is just for athletes who have been proven clean that are allowed to participate. Um, obviously, doping is generally not an issue in gymnastics. So, um, I don't. I don't think that we're really going to be missing any of the big names from Russia. Yeah, um, there was an interview with Nikita, and I mean, it sounds like they're all still planning on doing it. No one's gonna like boycott it for like flag reasons, but they're also really not happy about it, obviously. Yeah. All right, and um, more in other news. Um, USAG finally hired a new men's VP. Um, His name is Jason Woodnick. He was previously the men's gymnastics program manager for Gymnastics Canada. So now Canada will have to fill that position that Jason previously held. Um, And also the head of the men's program in France, Jan Kucherat, who is a European and world medalist himself, has resigned. Um, the French Federation said it was for personal reasons, um, but it sounds like he is running for municipal office in Lyon. Um, he had only been in the position since 2016, so I'm not entirely sure if it's related to the team's performance at Worlds, but... Um, yeah, they'll 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 have to get a new head of the program. This is basically like the French equivalent of Brett McClure, if anyone is confused. And I think that's about it. Uh, just one thing I want to mention before we finish: um, there's been a few retirements between Worlds and now. And one of them ruined Christmas. So, so yeah, that the retirement we got on Christmas was um, 
um, Nikolai Kuksenko, a world and Olympic medalist from Russia. He's been struggling with injury pretty much since the Olympics. And it kind of wasn't that unexpected, but still really, really sad. Um, and also another retirement was Frank Baines, a Commonwealth medalist for Scotland. Um, I guess he's also had a lot of injuries. I think he just felt like he couldn't keep it up anymore, I guess. Um, I think that's it. I can't remember anyone recently. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think because the qualifications process is a little more stress, uh, sorry, stretched out this year that we maybe haven't gotten as many retirements after Worlds as we might usually get, but we'll probably, my guess is we'll probably get a few after Euros. Yeah, I'm kind of after team selection made and stuff. I am really not ready for the amount of Japanese guys that are going to retire because, like, a lot of them are pretty much just sticking around to try and make it to Tokyo. Obviously, because it's a home Olympics, it's a big deal. So they're like pushing for that. But I'm yeah, like, I'm I not, think... I'm not prepared. No. Yeah, no. Well, Kohei just... has to continue forever. Shut up. No, don't say it. No, where we started was no. Sorry. I wasn't mentioning names for a reason. Don't do this to me. <laughs> and then there's like, the, and then there's Koji Yamamoto, who's the same age as Kohei and hasn't, I don't think, made a team major or otherwise since the Rio Olympics and he's like yeah I'm just gonna carry on and try and go to Paris which is crazy because I thought he was only sticking around for Tokyo because he's he's the same age as Kohei he's 31 he's like yeah I'll just keep going (laughs) all right I think that is it Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will see you next time.